If you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5 this evening. 2 Kings chapter 5. There was a wealthy uh, businessman, kind of a ruthless businessman as he was known. He was in conversation one day with Mark Twain. And he told Mark Twain these words. He said, before I die, I would like to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, to Israel. I want to, while I'm there, climb Mount Sinai. And I want to stand at the top of Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments as loud as I can from the very top of that mountain. Mark Twain looked at the man and he replied, I have a better idea. You could just stay in Boston and keep the Ten Commandments. When laboring for the kingdom of God, one of the greatest struggles that believers face is getting people to stick. Getting people to lock in. And this is a fellowship-wide struggle. This isn't just one city. This isn't just one area. This isn't just one nation. We have churches all around the world. I remember one conference, Pastor Rich Cox, he was preaching a sermon on follow-up and the benefits and the blessing and the help that it is to follow up on new converts. But before he started the sermon, he asked the question, he asked the conference body, how many here you are struggling to get lasting fruit? And just about every hand in that tent went up. Because this is something we struggle with. Because we have ideas as believers. We have ideas about converts and church, and locking in. But you have to remember that our converts and the sinners that we are going to be coming in contact with, they also have ideas about salvation and church and coming to church. So this creates then a struggle. The struggle, though, is more for us than it is them. So we're going to look tonight, we're going to continue uh, our sermon series that we've been looking at the last number of weeks. This is the final one out of Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Tonight we're going to finish this winning when worried. We've looked at a number of issues, a number of areas that we struggle with worry. Tonight we're going to conclude. Let's look at new convert struggles tonight. Out of 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, if you'll follow along, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the, uh, of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. 
And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Verse 4. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Let's skip down for the sake of time to verse 9. If you'll follow along, it says, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall become again to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angered and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Verse 12, Are not Abana and Farpah rivers of Damascus better than all these waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do something great... Wouldn't you have done it? How much more now when he said to you, wash and be clean? Verse 14, then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the miracle of salvation. I'm asking tonight that you are going to help and encourage your congregation, Father God, We contend right now, Lord, for fruit that is going to remain. I bind every thought of doubt. I rebuke every hindrance right now, every discouragement in this area. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's look then. Let's close this series. Winning when worried, new convert struggles. Let's set a foundation. Let's look firstly at the need for conversions. It's important that you understand tonight that God's ultimate desire is for conversions. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, he instructs his disciples. He tells them, go into all the world. We've all heard this and make disciples and baptize them. Think about this. We looked Sunday night uh, at the significance of Jewish Baptism, this was more than some type of religious tradition. This was a complete turning away from a lifestyle. It brings uh, uh, change. It was symbolic uh, of bearing the old life. Uh, We know John the Baptist preached uh, repentance and baptism. So here Jesus, in his final instructions, he tells the disciples, I want you to make converts. I want you to go into the world. Uh, Jesus puts emphasis. These are his final instructions. Get conversions. Use the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. uh, Preach it, declare it, and watch it change lives. Amen. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus says these words. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Here's Jesus speaking. 
His entire mission and purpose for coming to this earth was to save the lost, to save sinners from judgment. Mark 16 and verse 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. We believe in faith unto salvation and we are united with Christ in baptism. This is something significant. Jesus emphasizes conversions. I know tonight people don't need to just be churched. They need to be saved. They need a life a transformation. What is the point of having 500 people and they're all on their way to hell? That, that is not okay. That is not right. Uh, that is not the commission we have been called to. Tonight it is critical that as a congregation, corporately in this building tonight, uh, we absolutely cannot be distracted away from conversions. And number two, we cannot settle for less than conversions. We believe a distinctive of our fellowship is that we build on converts. We build our churches on conversions, right? We, we, don't, uh, 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 we don't pursue the churched. We look for the unchurched, right? We see the potential of what a life can become. But this is for a reason is that Pastor Mitchell has found converts are what causes a church to last for the long haul. Because when it comes to conversions, number one, this is where loyalty comes from. In the religious world, people go church shopping. From time to time, I get emails or I get phone calls. We are looking for a new church. Had a call recently, uh, a dear lady say, you know, I'm looking for a new church. Okay, how long have you been there? I think she said like 25 years. I said, and why are you leaving now? That's troubling to me. She said, well, I feel I've outgrown this fellowship, this congregation. I said, well, uh, you won't be impressed with me. Trust me. <laughs> but this is what people do. They go church shopping. What kind of programs do you have? What do you have to offer? What can you give to me? They're not interested in meeting with God. They're not interested in meeting with Jesus. They're not interested in their lives changing. And when they get bored of one thing, they just move to the next. But converts, saved people, they last. And when a church goes through a difficult time, and it will, because storms come and storms go, converts will last. Converts will fight it through. Number two is this is where disciples come from. Disciples come when, they have, when someone has been converted. Jesus said in Matthew 28, as I said, go into all the world, make disciples and baptize them. Clearly this is linked. Conversion is linked to discipleship. Because this is only uh, uh, because people who are radically changed by supernatural revelation, they are the ones who are willing to give their lives for the gospel. They're the ones who see the value. 
I was, I used to be that. Now Jesus changed me and I want to do something for God. That's where discipleship comes from. Number three is that this is what God blesses. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. That's how he starts Matthew 28 when he's commissioning the disciples. All the authority has been given to me. I have the power to enable you to make disciples. God blesses that. Can I tell you, God will fight for converts. That is why Jesus came. That is why he died. That is why he resurrected from the grave was to save sinners. He'll fight for converts. He'll fight for converts. Soup kitchens are wonderful. Clothing boxes are wonderful. But that's not what God fights for. He fights for conversions. Number four is this is what brings glory to God. Conversions bring glory to God. See, the church world, they're trying to be slick like the world. They're trying to have the latest, greatest. They're trying to have, uh, uh, you know, their music uh, and worship service like a rock show. They're trying to, uh, uh, to build these magnificent buildings. And they want the world to know how professional the church is. Well, can I tell you, the world has that too. They have all those things. And sometimes better. But what brings glory to God is a life that has been transformed. Because only God can do that. Only God can change someone. Only God can take the shattered pieces of a life and put them back together and give dignity. That brings glory to God. So here in our text, we have this raw sinner, Naaman. Here he is, a Syrian Commander, I read the King James Version. Sometimes it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Basically, here he, he is a, the man in charge. And the Bible tells us that God gave Naaman. He gave the children of Israel to Naaman. He was able to defeat them because God allowed it. And now they have plundered the children of Israel. They have taken them captive. They have taken them as slaves. And here is one of these slave girls. She's serving in the house of this ruthless, raw sinner uh, uh, commander. And she gives a witness. She gives a witness. Verse 3, one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him. Of his leprosy. Leprosy is an Old Testament physical picture of our sinful condition. And she recognizes, she tells those who are over her, she recognizes this man needs a miracle. This man needs the power of God, and God can do a miracle in his body. He needs a miraculous. Change. Something needs to happen in this man's life. Uh, he needs a touch of God. There's a need for conversions. Let's look secondly then at worrying about con converts. The tendency for people is that they worry. This is why we're doing this series. 
is because there's areas of life that we worry. We worry about our finances, our marriage, our children, our health. We worry about the things that we can't always control. So when it comes to our converts, people that we're working with, people that we're dealing with, if we're not careful, based on worry and fear, we can make some consequential mistakes because of our worry. The first mistake is that we want to rush change. Right after they say the prayer, you're going to make sure that they change. Right? And, and, and so this happens though. Maybe you've, you've been in a dry season in the area of fruitfulness. Maybe uh, uh, the church has just been struggling for an extended period of time. And the moment a convert comes in, or, or I mean, you're, you're, they're glued on them, and, and you're going to make sure I'm going to change you. You're going to change their clothes. You're going to change their friends. You're going to change their family and how they discipline their kids. You're going to change their money spending. You're going to change their time management. Every detail of their life, you're going to oversee and make sure they do it right. That's a mistake. In Santa Fe, we had a girl get saved. She was an MMA fighter. She's a rough girl. But when she came to church, she dressed like she was ready to go to the club and not to church. But I want to tell you, she had revelation like God was doing something. And it was just a matter of weeks. I want to say less than a month. That we just allowed her to come, let God work in her life. And one day after service, she came to my wife and she said, you know what? I think I need to change my clothes. I don't think I need to dress like this anymore. Ma, I said, yeah, be a good idea. <laughs> but you know what? God did that. God revealed that. God got to work. Now, if I want to give the balance, if you have been saved for an extended period of time and you're still dressing like a snake, we have a problem. If Jesus is still getting smothered here and you keep pulling up or keep having to pull down, that's not okay. That needs to change. But we want to rush change. We want to rush things instead of letting God help them. Why? Because we're worried they won't. Oh, it's been so long since we've had a, a good call. Oh, we got to make sure. That's a mistake. The second mistake is that we pressure people to change. You begin to pressure them with guilt. Right? Where were you last service? Huh? I guess you want to fry in hell, huh? You put the heat on them to change. I'll tell you, that's not a good idea. Because later they'll resent you for that. And it's really bad 
when you make stands and years go by and you don't make the same stands with family, with friends, with your children, they'll resent you for that. So out of worry, you think, don't worry, God, I got this one. I'll turn up the heat. I'll make them change. That's guilt. That's counterproductive. Lastly, the third mistake is we try to get them at our level. In other words, they prayed yesterday, and you're trying to make them lead disciple. Just take a minute and look how long it took you to get where you are at. I had a guy in Santa Fe, you know, I had to work really slow with him. He was one of those guys, he knew what he needed to do, but just working with him, and he would do great, and then it would be like, why did you do that? You know, just random stuff. But finally, the penny dropped, and he got it. But the problem was, now that he had it, everyone had to have it. He would ride people. He would push them. And I said, dude, I worked very slow with you. Very gracious. People need time to grow. Some converts will get it quickly. Others, they're going to take a little bit of time. They're going to need a little bit more uh, uh, encouragement. I remember in Prescott, this girl got saved. And it was like revelation immediately. She was that next weekend on outreach. Uh, she's here's in the offering. What is tithing? Can I tithe? Am I allowed to do that? Uh, can I go on the out-of-town outreaches? What is prayer? Oh, I want to be part of prayer. Uh, there, every service. Fasting? I want to try that. Everything. She just latched and she, t- it was like, wow, this is wonderful. But that's not everybody. Had a guy in Prescott that we w- worked with. He got saved and he would do wonderfully up and then just as fast down. He was in and then he was out. He was happy, but then he was mad. It was just this roller coaster. I remember visiting him with the door director, uh, Pastor Miller at the time. We're visiting him in jail months after he got saved. He was slower. He needed more time to develop and grow In the things of God, I just got a video uh, uh, Monday. He led his first healing crusade. I got a video of him giving the report. You have no idea if you would have met this guy and seen the trouble he put me through. He taught me so much about people. I mean, it was he I would talk to him and he'd receive it. And then uh, behind my back, he's mocking me uh, to all our friends. It was ridiculous. But it took some time, and here he is, man. He's giving that report, and Pastor Mitchell takes the mic and said, I should have just let him keep preaching because God has done such a miracle. But I want to tell you, we left four years ago. He just led his first healing crusade. He just needed some time, and that's okay. I got saved at 16 years old. The first six and a half years of my salvation were up and down. 
It wasn't until six and a half years ago that I got serious. I'm talking 100% for God. Some of us need some time. You can't get them at your level today when you have taken some time to get where you're at. See, the problem with these worry mistakes is that we're really saying God can't change lives. That's what we're really saying. Naaman, in our text, he heeds the witness of this slave girl. Go see Elisha. He goes, verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be healed. Clearly, Elisha's not worried about Naaman. Naaman comes to hear from the man of God and Elisha doesn't even meet him at the door. Think about this. He sends a messenger. The messenger tells him the message that Elisha sent, tells him the plan for healing or for salvation, and then he leaves it up to Naaman. You have a decision to make. The point is this. We are faithful to do our part. We are faithful to labor. We are faithful to invest. But bottom line, guys, is people have to also want it. They have to want it. And number two is that you have to leave the results with God. When you put, put it on yourself, oh, was I nice enough? Did I, was I too hard? You're, you're putting all the stress on you. A burden you're not meant to carry. Something that you can't change anyway. Because salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle of God. You have to leave the results with God. And you know, Naaman didn't like what he heard. Verse 11, but Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy. And call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus better than the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman went away in rage. Think about this. The struggle for Naaman, the sinner, is not so much with Elisha as it is with God. That's his real struggle. His real struggle is with God. When you are working with converts, the struggle is not with you. The struggle is with God. Naaman didn't like God's plan. Right? That that was God's plan. Go wash in the river seven times. Then you'll be saved. No, I don't like that. He's not fighting the man of God. He's fighting God. See, people aren't fighting you. There's things that they are wrestling with. There's things that they are dealing with. There are demonic forces holding them. There are addictions. There are mindsets. There are attitudes. There are all sorts of things inside, baggage, all sorts of things that they've dealt with for a lifetime. They've lived their life a certain way their whole life. And now you're going to tell them they've been doing it wrong this whole time. 
right, you got to think about this. Here's Naaman. How can he? These rivers are. He's, he's vexed, but he's fighting God, fighting God's plan, and your worry isn't helping them, and it's definitely not helping you. So, what do we do? I'm glad you asked. Let's close. Look at fighting for converts. Fighting for converts. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You want to know how you fight the best for people? It's not by writing them. It's not by pressuring them. Not by stalking them. It's by praying for them. It's by praying. Because this will unlock a supernatural dimension of, number one, protection for your new convert, but also it gets God involved. God's a lot better at doing things than we are. And he's faithful. Not only that, he's more committed than we are. So let's examine three ways then that we can pray. Number one is we need to pray for our converts or people you're working with. You need to pray, uh, first of all, for supernatural revelation. People don't need information. They don't need you to give them a pamphlet and things to read. They're not going to read it. They don't need information. They don't need uh, uh, some type of teaching. What people need is revelation. That is something revealed, something supernatural that God gives. Matthew 16 and verse 17, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I want to tell you, when a convert really gets it, when the gospel clicks, when the revelation happens and it sticks in their lives, can I tell you, that's a God moment. That is a God-revealing moment where the scales fall from their eyes. Their mind is it's transformed. It's, they, they see everything differently. Why? Because God has done something in their lives. That's revelation. That's what we need to contend for. There are people here, you were a convert. You were converted. What we do, salvation, is totally, it was foreign to you when you first came in. But God did a miracle. That was supernatural. It was revelation. Then Jesus, here when he tells Simon Peter this, uh, 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 that God gave him a revelation, then he tells the disciples... And upon this rock, he's not talking about Simon Peter becoming the first pope. He is talking about himself, Jesus Christ. Upon the revelation that you have, that is what I'm going to build my church on. Jesus builds his church on conversions. It is the most wonderful thing to watch my pastor, Pastor Mitchell, Every morning after prayer, as door director, you cook breakfast. I'd make some mean breakfast burritos. I had a lot of practice. 
But it's so wonderful to watch him minister. 86 years old, ministering to heroin addicts. We have the recovery house in Prescott. These are people, they have nothing in common with Pastor Mitchell. Right here, Pastor Mitchell's been saved now probably longer than he's, you know, uh, than his sinner life by now. Pastor here, he's totally disconnected from this lifestyle. But you know what they have in common? The revelation of salvation. And here are these young men looking at this man of God, gleaning from him, pulling out uh, 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 insight and revelation. That's a God thing. Number two is we need to pray for our converts for a godly desire. In other words, when they get saved, you need to pray that your converts will get a heart for the things of God. Right? Reading uh, the Bible, you hear people all the time, I, I've read the Bible, I don't understand it. That's because there's a blinding dimension. But when you are saved, that veil is lifted. And when a convert begins to get into the Word of God, things begin to make sense. God begins to speak to them. But they need to get a heart for that. But they don't know that. You do. You pray for that. Pray that God gives them a heart to, for evangelism, to witness. I remember in Santa Fe, the converts we began to get immediately were on outreach the following services. Why? Because they were birthed in an atmosphere of revival. That's what they knew. It wasn't we're saved and a year later, hey, would you like to be on outreach? No, it was like they got saved and said, what's outreach? I want it. What's the Holy Ghost? I want it. What's fast? I want it because... We, we established that dimension. We fought for that. Pray that God gives them a heart for prayer. Right? If you're going to pray these things, you yourself need a heart for it. Right? You need to ask God for it. Because if you're working with converts, they're only going to go as far as you go. So here, praying that they get a heart for prayer, a heart to, for church. Right? When, when, a, when a sinner or a convert hears church, it's like... Uh, Church is different here. God moves. God challenges our hearts. God speaks and deals with areas. People come to me sometimes and, Pastor, when you said, I'm like, yeah, I never said that, but God did to you because that's what you needed. He's faithful, a heart to, for the things of God. Pray that God would birth a desire in them for him. Lastly is you need to pray for divine appointments. We outreach, we labor, we invest, but we also need God to put us in contact with people that he's already prepared. My pastor said in a sermon uh, some time ago, Pastor Greg, he said, I prayed this prayer when I was pioneering. God, I don't want to waste time. Lead me, put me in contact with people. That is something we need to pray for. God, put us in contact with people you have already been dealing with, the people you have already been working on their hearts, that it would be a divine appointment. Like Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian, here was a divine appointment led by God. That's a way that we can pray. See, in our text, God does a miracle in this man, Naaman, the sinner. And Elisha wasn't beating his head, chasing him around. 
He wasn't overwhelmed and worried and, and trying to track. He left the results with God. And it's funny because it was like through other people, ungodly people, God got a hold of his heart. Naaman obeyed and was healed. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored. He finally got on board with God, and he did it God's way. 2 Kings 5 and verse 15, I didn't read this verse, but it's the very next verse from our text. And he returned to the man of God, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all earth except in Israel. Think about what happened. He comes back to the witness. He comes back to the man of God, back to the place where he received the instruction for change. And something happened. Revelation, change, conversion. See, for you and I tonight, we have to believe God for his plan. Right? This is all God's idea. This isn't CFM's idea. This is God's idea. He has called us to this task, and we can take him at his word and contend for conversions. Contend, meaning we need to engage with God in prayer, claim his word and say, God, I'm not letting go until. Right? That's what Jacob did. He wrestled with God. He said, bless me. Day breaketh and I'm going to. No, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. When's the last time you got a hold of God and said, not until. God, I'm not letting go until uh, you answer and move in this area because I'm believing you for this. John 15 and verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit uh, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask my Father in heaven, uh, he may give you. It's God's idea. We need to believe God for it. And he'll give it to us. Pastor Greg would tell us as disciples, gentlemen, when you go out, conversions, 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 what we need is conversions. I'll tell you, that's what I'm believing God for. I'm believing God for converts. Converts, fruit that is going to remain. I refuse to settle for less. Hallelujah. God is faithful, and we don't have to worry except take him at his word. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Amen. Very quickly, maybe you're here tonight and your heart is not right with God. You do not have the assurance that you would make heaven your home. You are not living right. You are far from God. Maybe you're here unsaved or maybe you're backslidden. At one time you knew the love of God, but tonight you, you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you believe, but you're not living for Him. He is not the sovereign Lord of your life. You are not surrendered to Him. There are areas 
areas of life, maybe of addiction, areas of jealousy and hatred and bitterness and contempt. Maybe there are areas that are falling and caving in. Maybe there are areas that are broken and damaged. And maybe you've tried to change them. Maybe you've tried to fix them. Maybe you've tried uh, means, uh, programs, and all sorts of different avenues that this world has to offer. But nothing has brought a lasting change. It's Jesus. That's what you need. Jesus Christ is here knocking on your heart's door. Why fight him when you can let him in? And what blessing can be unlocked? What miracles can be opened in your life? What changes could happen? What could God do? A supernatural, fresh work through a simple prayer of repentance. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I recognize my error and I put my faith in you. A simple prayer. And God, can we meet with you tonight at this altar space? God can meet with you and transform your life. I'm telling you right now, there is no, no other means to heaven. There is no other means to eternal life than through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the answer for your soul. He is the answer for rest. He is the answer for change. He is the answer for deliverance. Uh, the blood of Jesus is the power of God to change a life. And he's here right now. And you can invite him in and be glorious, tr gloriously transformed. And I wonder how many you're here tonight, your heart's not right with God, but you want to get it right. You lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. You're unsaved. Maybe you're backslidden. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't fear it. Don't look and count the cost. Well, what, do, what, what do I got to give? What, what, what do I have to Just let God in. And he'll work the rest out. It's a walk with God. It's a walk with God. He'll... Work the areas that need to change quickly. And in time, he'll work out the other areas. But the, the, what you need now is to receive him. To receive his blood atonement. Because you can't be good enough to make heaven your home all on your own. You need the blood of Jesus. Whether it's just a lie or whether it's the chiefest of sinners, as Paul writes, his grace is sufficient. Don't listen to the lies of hell, condemnation. You can never change. You're, ne you'll never, you're not like other people. They, it works for them, but never for you. You're too far gone. That's a lie from hell. God right now is knocking on your heart's door. If you would respond, if you would respond to the call of Jesus Christ, he's tugging on your heart's door. Quickly respond now while the conviction is here, while God is drawing on your heart. The Bible says no one comes to the Father unless they are drawn. If you feel a pulling right now, oh, that is God's grace. There's no guarantee you'll feel that ever again. There's no guarantee you'll have the chance ever again. Today's the day of salvation. He's pulling on your heart. Respond quickly. Left to right, front to back, man, woman, boy, or girl, quickly. Lift your hand, unsaved or backslidden. I just want to pray with you. I'm not here to embarrass. I'm not here to put you on the spot. Jesus Christ loves you. Quickly, how many would there be? Amen. Hallelujah. It does you no good unless you receive it. Unless you receive it and confess with your mouth. Amen. Quickly, how many? Hallelujah. 
Praise God. Speaking of Christians then. New convert struggles. We know, we understand, we desperately need conversions. There, there's, there's so much value to a convert. That majority of the church world, they really don't see conversions like we do. They don't even know what it, what it, what it looks like. But we recognized uh, and what God has done based on converts. What God has done. The enemy fights that because this is what Jesus commissioned. The enemy fights that because... What men and women will do who are radically transformed by the blood of Jesus lay down their lives for the gospel. That's what the enemy fights. We need to contend and not worry. Some of us here, we have maybe rushed, tried to rush change or pressure changed, uh, 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 pressure changed based on guilt or we try to get people immediately to our level. These mistakes that we make out of fear, out of worry, let God get to work. He's faithful. This is a wonderful example. Naaman here. God did the miracle. God brought the healing. God brought the restoration. And you know what? He went back to the man of God. He went back where he needed to go. That was a God thing. We've got to trust God and fight in prayer. Prayer is so crucial for our converts Many times we pray them into the next step of their salvation. Many times we're praying them into the next step of obedience. Praying them into the next uh, area of their salvation. And we need to pray those things. Revelation. A godly desire. That's why I say when we pray in our prayer requests, our new converts, that they would make righteous decisions. That is something I contend for. God... Give them a godly desire. And praying for divine appointments. God, put us in contact. We don't want to waste time. We want to see what you have. There's gems in this city. There's key converts in this area. There's pastors and pastor's wives out there that are waiting to be won. If we can trust God and believe him for it. Amen. These altars are open. We're going to take a few moments to pray. Hallelujah, if God has spoken to you, dealt with you, and in one area or another, maybe there's family. Amen, bring them to the altar. Family members you're contending for. Maybe there's friends, co-workers. Pray, God, give me a strategy for them. God, give me understanding. Let my life be an example. Let my life be a light of the gospel. God, let my testimony begin to shine forth. Amen, we can stand Amen. As these are praying in the altar as we sing. Hallelujah. Where would I be? You only know. I'm glad you see. Through all is of love. A hopeless case. An empty place. If not the
if not the grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, I once was lost, but now I'm found, a hopeless case, an empty place, if not for